gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Well, that's what says in the sport, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. Welcome to Gafaro Cast, everyone. It is Friday. Holy cow, look at that, the 22nd. Um, and uh, as uh, some of you know, the last few podcasts, we've been throwing shout outs to uh, different companies that uh, have uh, worked with us, promoted us, and, and been great to deal with. So a uh, couple uh, companies I want to uh, talk about today, uh, Delta McKenzie Targets, they've been super great to uh, deal with. Uh, they've worked well with me, love the targets. Uh, so uh, if you guys are looking to buy 3D targets or any type of target, check them out. Uh, the next one is Sheep Feet. Uh, that is the custom orthotic and insole that I use. Uh, check those guys out as well. I cannot recommend them enough. So enough of that. Uh, today, our guests are Clint and Craig from Easton, Sever, Delta McKenzie. Uh, you guys have a long list. Clint, you're the product uh develop the director of product development for those companies and uh craig you're the marketing is that correct like why don't you guys introduce yourselves yeah so um this is clint and uh i uh got hired by easton in 2008 and they hired me to do the tent pole to manage the tent pole business um and back then it really was a fairly small business because we were really just supplying the military um and then through so that's when I started here. Um, then I, I worked um, through the development of our carbon temples and got that into the market with MSR, Kuyu, um, and kind of grew that segment of the business. And then as my career progressed, I moved into the archery side um, and was responsible mostly for the expansion of Easton into like bow cases and quivers and more tools and things like that, which has done really well for us. That's been successful. And then most recently with Sever Broadheads, um, in, in creating that brand and bringing that to market. Um, and then now I'm just, they've got me just over all of the product development for, you know, the arrows and then Delta targets. I still do sever and everything I've always done. So that's me in a nutshell, Craig. Yep. Um, I'm Craig. I'm the marketing coordinator for sever Easton and Delta McKenzie. Um, I've kind of got a crazy story how it started. Um, uh, originally, I'm from Michigan, grew up, born and raised, um, went to college there, got my bachelor's and majored in marketing and business management. And uh, after college, I just decided to pack up my car, do a big road trip, set up a bunch of interviews with hunting companies out west and did a big road trip. <laughs> so somehow I ended up at Easton and uh, yeah, that's where we are now. Gutsy. Yeah. It was a very liberating trip. I actually, uh, I uh, lived out of my car for about six weeks, didn't start running out of food and, uh, <laughs> and money and stuff. So I'd, uh, there's businesses that offer like breakfast in the morning and uh, I just kind of sneak in there and get breakfast and uh, some fruit and stuff for lunch and then uh, hit the KOAs at night for showers and everything. So I kind of risked it all just to get into the hunting industry, and uh, but I was fairly confident I could work my way up into a marketing position. So I took the job with Easton, and then uh, after two years, they bumped me up into the marketing department. So now I'm doing marketing for them. That is a cool story. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Uh, well, you yeah. gotta live your you gotta live your dream, or at least you gotta try it. Yeah, so. Exactly. 
I figured that was a good time to risk everything too. Cause I was already broke. <laughs> so, yeah. I freedom, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Having, having very little items makes it easy to be, uh, you can be very, um, dynamic in movement and do whatever you want. Um, which is cool. That's a yeah, cool, hey, Darren, cool. Didn't you have a, didn't you have a post a while back of like your bedroom a long time ago where there was a cot and like three things on the floor? Actually, I probably had less than that. So that wasn't actually my photo, but uh, for anybody that's followed along, um, you know, I think people see, nobody sees the come up. They just see when you get there. Um, I live in a one bedroom apartment and slept on a Thermarest air pad for six years. Um, and I, until recently, you know, people see the 3D targets in my yard or the nice truck or what, but uh, I work construction until 2000 uh 12 time frame and then i started working kafaru and i i still live in poverty for a while and until probably 2017 is when i you know maybe considered like grew up financially and started doing okay and moved out of the apartment but uh yeah i i was more um I, i'm not a money guy i'm more of a lifestyle guy and i did whatever i had to do to uh stay in the woods as much as i can so yeah it's uh it uh it's panned out for me in the long run. I just never worried about money and just worried about getting outside. So, yep, that's about right where I am right now. I I also had a thermos that I was sleeping on. I think for about a month until I could actually afford a bed, and uh, and I had a desk chair that Easton was getting rid of uh, in my living room <laughs> as my as my uh, lazy boy. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that's awesome. Oh lord. Yeah. Well. Uh, now I have, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I'm a little bit, uh, up in age compared to, uh, you know, others. And so anytime I think, you know, obviously this, my, my big thing with you guys initially was sever broadheads. I'm a huge fan of sever, uh, as well as the Delta McKenzie targets, but uh, I can't have you guys on the phone without going way back in the day before carbons were on the market. And, XX78 Super Slam Selects and Cosmic Eclipses were like the arrow to have, which is not the world we live in today. Um, a 2213 uh, was a relatively small shaft. Um, 2312s were kind of like with 50 grain hot points were the thing to have on a 3D course. Um, how times have changed. I mean, anytime I think of Easton, I definitely, Chuck Adams comes up because Chuck was a big proponent, obviously, of that XX78. That was his oh, arrow. Yeah. And then that camo pattern on that, anytime I see that arrow, I think of all the different crazy adventures I've been on because that was the arrow I shot. Believe it or not, I shot um, for a long time, uh, 2713, I think, for hunting. I shot uh, 2513s. I shot 2312s for, for target. Um, you guys have been in the game a long time with Easton. Before we talk about Sever, uh, yeah, talk about years this year. Yeah, well, you got hundred years, so a long time. Yeah. Um, arrow wise, uh, you guys, I mean, you've been in the business forever. Uh, Clint, how much do you have to do with the arrows now? Is that your bailiwick, all of it? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy. So, um, yeah, I'm overall product development. Um, so for all of our archery products as well. So yeah, and, and prior to even like my role, like just being in charge of it. I mean, I've been. I've been working for Easton off and on since 1997. And, um, and kind of like you, I, when I was, I mean, straight out of, well, my little bit of quick, my story, I was 13 years old, read an article in Peterson's bow hunting. I love bow hunting. 
And I read an article in Peterson's Bowhunting that was quoting a guy who's the vice president of marketing at the time, Randy Sheff. And that, that article inspired me to be, to work in the industry. And I was like, that's what I want to do when I grow up. So I kind of, this is a fulfillment of a goal of mine to do what I'm doing now. But along the way, I actually work construction too, but I answered phones for Easton in 1997. So, I mean, back in the aluminum's heyday, I mean, I was here, um, you know, answering phones. I got Alex Colt, his job. Alex is, owns the Summit Sales Rep Group, who, who does all of Easton sales repping today. Um, so, I mean, I've been around a long time, even though, you know, I mean, most, I've only been in this current role I'm in for a few years. Um, my history goes way back with Easton. All of them. I mean, that, like you, I mean, I shot 2315, 2413, Super Slams. I mean, that was kind of it. And uh, I'm getting all nostalgic. I might actually fletch up some game getters for Canada in two weeks. Just because. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I got dyslexia there. I said 27. It's 2317s is what I shot at uh, 90 pounds oh, yeah. forever. Uh, and I, I remember, it's funny how much, and we'll get into this a little bit more. I, I, I don't want to detour too far off going through uh, the rabbit hole but a standard like 18 grain rps insert was what you got right like now with the micros and seven thousand different options for components you just glued in a you know rps insert that weighed 18 24 i think a 23 17 was 24 grain rps insert um, i don't remember off the top of my head all those weights but um I have a, well, I've got a thing on that too. I'll, I'll, I'll get in. So here, look, some of the bigger <laughs> arrows, I'll, let's just go down a little rabbit hole. We have to, it's our hundred year. Why not? Um, the, uh, the 20, like the larger stuff, 23, 15s and bigger, let's say those inserts were like 60 grain. Um, they were real heavy. And so back then people would build these arrows, right? They'd put fairly heavy inserts in them. Um, 125 grain points were kind of the norm. I would say 100 grain was still pretty popular, but 125 was way more popular than it is today. And, you know, we talked about FOC a little bit um, today. It was by default, because you really only had one choice. I mean, Easton kind of owned the market, let's say, and they, you had one insert choice, right? So by default, those arrows were actually producing pretty adequate FOC right out of the box. And it's just kind of the way it was because, you know, Easton did a lot of study to figure out like what the right amount was and kind of an aluminum arrow with a 125 grain point and a standard insert right out of the box produces right where you want it to be for hunting typically. So carbon arrows come out and for the first time in somebody's life, they're able to hit 300 feet per second. They're like, holy cow, this is awesome, right? So like it started the speed, the speed craze and everybody couldn't get a arrow that was light enough, right? So it was just light, light, light. So everybody trimmed the insert weights down. So you could come out with a new carbon arrow, like we did Axis in 2003. I mean, the Axis hit insert, you know what that weighs. It's not very much. It's like 12 grains or yeah, is it 20? Okay. Very sorry, 18. Yeah, so you, you, you get that arrow um, with not a lot of insert weight on it. You know, now your FOC right out of the box, you know, could be fairly light. So, I mean, that pendulum swung drastically um, with carbon arrows. So, I mean, man, things changed a ton. Let's talk about that. So I just uh, pulled it up. It's 42 grains for a 2317 insert. And without diving down the FOC rabbit hole too much, because I am not a proponent of insane FOC, but I like 175 up front. I like a 50-grain component and a 125-grain head. And Yeah, we've always... 
Yeah. No, we, well, that's, that's going to ask. We agree with you. Yeah, we agree with okay. you on that. I mean, we've always felt like 12 to 15% FOC is ideal for hunting. Um, and then anything over that is just diminishing returns. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole today. That's not why we're here, but, but I'm with you. You know, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Well, and, and I remember shooting a, an elk um, with, uh, now I was shooting heavy poundage, but, you know, back in, and now keep in mind, for people listening in, there was not any, I mean, there was some the, way back, the Beemans with the outserts or whatever, but they didn't have the consistency. I mean, you could grab an XX78, throw it on an arrow spinner, and that thing would spin as true as could be. I, you know, but when you, like, when you start talking about, um, the components, there wasn't all these options. You literally just had the RPS insert. You had an right. arrow saw. Some people, I remember poor guys like myself at one time, I used a pipe cutter, which is not the most consistent thing in the world, but glued the RPS insert in and a 125 grain head. I was using four and five inch Marco veins or flex fletch. Like yeah. a short bow back then was 37 inches and a small arrow was a 2219 or a 2213. Um, and, you know, obviously it had to go with the poundage you're shooting. Like I shot 2219s for a while, but they actually, their spine, it's not like it was a 250 spine. A 2219, I'd have to look, it's probably a 340 spine or something like that. I'd have to look, to, you know, but I, it, there wasn't a lot of options. What I do know is those arrows killed more than anything. And I never, you never saw penetration issues. And so... You know, guys, sometimes you go with like a standard carbon and it's like 400 grains and a and a standard insert. And then, you know, you may not be getting the, the penetration you want. It's really not um, an FOC thing. It's an overall weight thing. If you stick oh, around yeah. 150, 175 up front, you're going through anything. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. You know, and bows were less efficient back then too, right? And they And, you know, we were still passing through deer. So, I mean, imagine you take that same arrow you shot in 1998, shoot it out of today's bow, you know, you're, you're, you're even better than you were then, you know, by a long shot because of the mass of the arrow though. You're right. You're, you're right on. Yeah. So I, again, I, I, I wanted to talk more about sever, but we'll get back to that. Cause now you've got me going down a rabbit hole when Axis came out. So I, 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 yeah. I, I shot ACCs forever. That was a 371 ACC was like my arrow. And then I hate you guys. You quit making them, which I don't know why. And I'll ask that a minute. But with the ACC, the next one that came out that I thought was a a great idea was the Axis. Now, with the Axis, you guys patented the HIT technology, which is a hidden insert. Now, I will say gluing those in, I screwed up a few times. I glue them in and like stick them vertical, like, and then they'd fall down. And then it was like, oh my God, what did I do? So a little bit of a learning curve. What I did end up doing was putting, um, I was cutting down aluminum arrows and making footers for them, which, you know, I don't even know if this stuff you want me to talk about, but I wanted to beef up the front a little bit. There was a collar that you, you know, there was different things that you could do. What I noticed with right. the hit insert, people would glue them in with super glue, which is not good. Um, had, w- talk a little bit about the transition from like a th- the ACC to the FMJ, the Axis Arrow, the hit insert. Some of the, like the issues yeah. I saw with the hit insert was just super glue. Guys weren't using epoxy. Talk a little bit about those. Yeah. So I mean, the, you, let's go way back. I mean, back then in two thousand three, kind of where the market was. 
you know, we were about, I'm going to say five or six years into the carbon, the carbon revolution for archery, I would say. I mean, carbon arrows have been around since the early 90s, like all carbon ones with the Beeman and like AFC used to be a brand that made them. But like the real big shift into carbon happened around 98 when the, when we came out with the ICS. I think about the same time Goldtip even came out with their arrow. Um, but it was right in that late 90s area. So we come out with the ICS. The whole market's going light. So everybody was, you couldn't, I mean, people were shooting overdraws on bows back then. I mean, five-inch overdraws. Most of the guys on the call probably won't even know what that is. But, I mean, you'd put an arrow rest six inches back on a bow that had a nine and a ten-inch brace height. And an arrow rest would be sitting five inches back from your grip just to get the arrow even lighter to get the bow to swing it faster. You know, that's what we were doing. So the whole market's going fast. Well, we wanted to zig when everyone was zagging. So what we did is we said, hey, what the market really needs isn't faster. They want, we need smaller diameter, heavier. So when Axis came out, that's what we did. So Axis was the first real, we'll call it serious adult hunting arrow to come out on the market that was small diameter. Prior to that, you know, there were small diameter arrows, but they, they weren't internal fit. Um, and they were unidirectional carbon. They had outserts, but they weren't the most durable things um, in, in the world. So really what Axis was was the first small diameter arrow on the market. And the reason we went with the hit insert is because it, it, was this, it made for the smallest diameter arrow possible you could get without um, an outsert. So that, that's why we ended up at that size that we did. Now, um, as far as like ACC and kind of that whole, what happened there. So ACC has been around since 1980, we'll say three, 1983. It was the, the first, um, use of carbon in archery at all was in an ACC and it was originally designed as a target arrow. Um, and, and they were used, I think in, uh, you know, this would be, the mid eighties. And then we, we came out with the ACE. And then after that, the ACE came out, which is a smaller diameter. It's a, basically a four millimeter ACC. Think of it that way. Where an, an ACC, it was every size was a different diameter. If you remember yours, Aaron, a 371, a 371 ACC is basically a 6.5 millimeter standard diameter carbon arrow. Yep. More or less. Cause I shot it was, three, I shot 349s three. for tournaments, and I shot 360s or 371s for uh, for hunting. And the 349 yeah, so, was like a happy medium diameter for you know for target and weight. Yeah, so the ACCs are really kind of an old school technology from the standpoint of uh, sizing because they were sized for finger shooters originally. That's why the the spine values on them are are just like random numbers. They're like 390, you know. 410 and you know 520 and you know finger shooters for well because Aaron shoots trad you know here uh, you know spine is a really big deal for finger shooters not so much for compound I mean you move 30 foul and spine and you're shooting fingers it's going to change your tune a lot yeah. so you know finger guys you know they need arrows they need new sizing about every 50 foul typically um, to be happy um, so that's why you go 300 350 400 450 stuff like that where release aids don't. So, you know, those arrows, ACTs probably had 12 sizes in the group originally. They were designed for finger shooters uh, sizing-wise. 
but the hunters loved them. I mean, they, they provided really good durability. They were super accurate, dead nuts accurate. Um, and it's cause of the aluminum core that was in there. So, you know, the, the benefit of combining aluminum with carbon is huge. You know, you get the strength of carbon that allows for the air to be strong, but, but that aluminum goes in on the core. And, and so that provides the reason why that's good is two things. When you combine aluminum and carbon together, it allows for you to give the hoop strength of the arrow. So the hoop strength is the crest strength. That's what makes the, you know, an internal fit knock possible. That's why you can put an insert in a hit or I mean in an access arrow and it doesn't split out the sides because you have a wrapped layer of carbon. So what the aluminum does is that it gives you a perfect um, spine consistency in that wrap layer because aluminum is perfect and, and there's no seam there. Um, and unlike carbon where you can, you know, you can have some spine consistency issues. So the ACC is a superior way of making an arrow. That's why we did it. Um, and that's why they still use ACCs in the Olympics today. They just come in the form of an X10 when they're barreled and they're really, really small diameter. So, um, and why we got really, rid of it? They're really expensive as uh, well. Uh, how much? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, how much your X tens a dozen? Six hundred dollars yeah. for shafts, and then you're paying another five hundred dollars for point for a dozen. So you're into they're a thousand dollar a dozen set if you're doing tungsten, which most guys are. So yeah, that stuff's crazy expensive. But you know, target shooters, you know, started with the ACCs. Many target shooters. I mean. We talk of Randy Ulmer. We'll get to Sever in a minute. I mean, Ulmer is one of probably the best bow hunter there's ever been, I would venture to say. I up there with Chuck and others. But, you know, he was a target shooter, and he loved his ACC. So he started hunting with them. And, you know, Easton actually, I would say for a lot of years, probably discouraged it because they wanted their aluminum business to be strong. So they discouraged the use of carbon for hunting. They didn't, I don't think we, you know, we wanted people to hunt with carbon arrows because, I mean, just, we didn't want to lose market share and we were worried that competition would creep in. So, you know, that was 25, 30 years ago. I mean, a lot of things have happened since. Most of what we do is carbon now. Yep. Um, but why we got away from ACCs, it was, it's purely just a market driven thing. We just weren't selling a lot, frankly. I mean, the, the sales just continued to go down. And I think a lot of the people that liked them probably stopped hunting. They got old, they retired. Um, they switched to FMJ or they switched to something else. You know, I think probably switched to FMJ. A lot of the ACC guys switched to FMJs. Um, but not to say that if we wouldn't ever do it again, I mean, if there was a market need for ACC and that we could sell a lot, I mean, it's all about making money. That's, you know, that's why we're in the business, right? So if it made sense, made good business sense, I, I mean, I'm all for an ACC hunting arrow if it made sense. I and think we got a replacement for that right now. We, uh, oh yeah, Procon. So, yes, Procon. Yeah, yep. So we're uh, a really popular arrow right now. If you were shooting the ACCs and can't get them anymore, you uh, look at the Procoms. Uh, that's kind of same same idea as the ACCs, smaller diameter. Yeah. though. Yep. it's a four millimeter. So, and that's the thing too. ACCs are awesome. You got to remember though, they're they're fat shafts compared to what people want. Like. I mean, really what the market wants today is smaller diameters ever is big, you know, and, um, and that trumps a lot of that. So the ACCs just kind of fell out of favor too, cause they were, they weren't long range arrows. They weren't really great 
long distance, things like that. So yeah, the pro comp is an awesome, so, an awesome arrow that a modern day equivalent of that for sure. Yep. I'm going to pull those up right now. So let's uh, shift just a little bit. Um, you guys have done a ton of testing um, in wind tunnels, things like that. So for, for me, and again, I am not speaking for the two gentlemen on the other end of the line. I do not see um, a two, and I have tried a lot of arrows. I do not see a reason to go below a 204. Components are a pain in the butt. I understand that, uh, you know, as far as wind drag, I, I get that. You know, potentially penetration, although it's hard to quantify penetration on an animal with, um, you know, does a two, 204 not penetrate as well as a, as a micro? Um, I personally have gone back to, to just shooting like a 204 or a 246. I know I yeah. wind drag. I get like, I, I understand, but for hunters and guys not dropping like super long range bombs. So let's say 60 and in, how much do you see a difference of from a 246 to a 204 to a micro? How much is a shooter going to notice that? And is a lot of that just mental and the current state of affairs in the outdoor bow hunting world because for me, I don't really, I don't see that big of a difference unless I'm dropping long bombs. And like last night I was shooting in my yard, uh, it, I was shooting 92 yards with a slight wind. I can still keep mm -hmm. them in the, a paper plate, which is about as good as I can shoot. Now, I'm not right. saying that I don't get wind drift from it, but what's your guys' take on that? Because I know momentum, point weight, that'll really help buck the wind, but... Are people smart, smarter to go with a 204 if they're not super geeks on components and things like that and just or an RPS insert and like a standard shaft? Um, or are you guys really proponents of micros? Like, what are your thoughts on that? So I let the market decide. I mean, honestly, the way I look at it is, is I mean, let the market vote with their wallet, right? So our, our number one best-selling arrow is our axis. Um, which is a 204. So, and I think that, pro in my opinion, I I personally shoot a little of everything because I can and I, I'm kind of weird and I just can never make up my mind. But, but, but honest, if you were to ask me like what my favorite personal arrow to use is, it is a five millimeter arrow. Whether, I mean, and I, I'll shoot, you know, be it prototypes or be it FMJs or be it access. Five millimeter 204 is my favorite. And the, my, the reason for me is I hate half house. One. Yep. Two, I love lighted knocks. And I think the, the lighted knocks that are on the market for less than five millimeters just, in my opinion, aren't very durable. They're clunky. So I, my personal favorite setup is any five millimeter arrow. Um, I like the glory knock. I use the lighted knock in the back. I love the, the lighted knock. And, and for me, that's why it's because it's, there's, there's a, it's a great, it's a good all around. You still get the benefit of small diameter and that, that matters a ton, Aaron, like diameter is huge. Like when the guys they're shooting for, for their living with their bow, like they're shooting target archery, they're out shooting at 70 meters in the wind. Um, the difference from an ACE to an X 10 is like, even though that's, splitting hairs, it's, it's points that they're giving up. Now, are hunters good enough to know? Probably not. You so, know, like he, here's so, where I get yeah. discomfort. Yeah, so to go from five to four, eh, 
Are you going to notice it? I don't know. But if it gives you more confidence, hell yeah, do it. Uh, okay, that's right? where I'm at. Like, so that's what I try to explain to guys. Like, if your group is the size of a stop sign um, or even a paper plate at 40, are you going to be able to see the difference going from a, um, you know, and uh, you guys do the millimeter, however you want, 246, 6 millimeter, 6.5 millimeter, five, all the way down. If you're not going to notice the difference, I would go what's easiest for you to build and tune and what you're confident with. And if that's a micro, rub some funk on it. I just don't like micro components the more I mess with them. And now, you know, and I I worked with a company designed kind of a special micro component system. You guys work well, Bill with Iron Will. You guys, uh, he's a huge fan of yours. Um, He uses, you know, 204s or Axis. I just with guys need to maybe look at reality a little bit rather than maybe chasing down the rabbit hole of um, going with the highest FOC, smallest diameter arrow, maybe work on accuracy and form a little bit, you know, go with what you're comfortable with, but don't get wrapped up in the, like the minutia of the detail. Um, Because the reality is, is most guys aren't going to shoot the difference between a micro 204 and a 246 or six mil, whatever, you're probably not gonna be able to tell, especially inside of 50 uh, so yards. I personally, I'm not, Bill, I mean, uh, uh, Aaron, I'm not a great shot, right? Like, I'm okay. I don't, I'm okay. I'm, I'm good enough to kill stuff and, you know, have fun and whatever. But I notice a big difference going from 246 to 204 myself. Like, you know, I'm out, if I'm shooting in a pretty stiff 20, like 15, 20 mile an hour crosswind, which is, in Utah, that's like every day up on the Wasatch Front. Just a morning thermal will do that to you. Um, that's pretty typical. And, I mean, six inches at 40 yards, I know. I mean, that's, you know, six, eight, ten inches sometimes at 40 yards. I'll notice that. So, you know, if I can cut that by two or three inches, that's huge for me. And I see that with a 204. Um, so I'm with you on that. I, the other thing that I find way more detrimental missing in a hunting situation way more than wind is yardage estimation errors and and so having a, a slow slowest crap arrow caused because it's super heavy if you're off by a yard at 62 to 63 yards it's going to make a far bigger difference than you, you know trying to buck the wind errors are going to be I, in my opinion I, I mean i think so having that middle of the road 204 arrow at a decent weight, not at a crazy weight. I think it's just kind of the all-around best. I don't know. Just for me. That's just my opinion. I think one thing to add, though, too, uh, going from a 246 to 204, uh, especially with axis, is durability, too. Um, those axis arrows, the wall, the carbon walls on those are a little beefier. Yeah, they're filter. Yep. Mm-hmm. So durability comes. That's one thing I look at, too. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I think that, um, you, not to drift e- even farther down the rabbit hole, if, if cost efficient, um, how would I put this? Um, if you're on a budget, yeah, get the most durable arrow. Like, don't worry. <laughs> and that may not be a micro, right? Like, um, you want to get the most durable, consistent arrow you can. And, and I, yeah. I strongly suggest for people to find the arrow they like buy a bunch of them and then shut off Instagram and stop reading shit because that one arrow will do you fine. Um, yeah. Durability is a huge, um, especially shooting trad. Cause you don't always hit what you're aiming at. 
durability is a big one for people. They got, you know, they got kids, they got mortgages, they got whatever. Um, you know, so durability in, in consistency is huge. And so I have seen some guys go with a less durable setup because of something that they read. And I'm like, are you really going to notice the difference going with that lighter arrow and a little bit higher FOC compared to maybe a little bit more durable arrow, a little bit, you know, maybe more like a 13% FOC because you're going to be buying a lot less arrows when you go with durability. And, and, and I only bring right. that up. It's just people listening in focus on accuracy. Obviously that's important. Durability is important when you're poor and I've been poor a long time. Um, and, and, you know, I, I obviously get, I, I get asked a ton of questions that access arrow is pretty hard to beat. Um, you know, especially if you glue the components in together correctly. Now, when you talk about the components, I always feel yeah. so back in the day, I stacked hit inserts together, um, yeah. to add weight. That was kind of, and then brass hit inserts came out. Um, and then, you know, now, like when I shoot a 204, I put a, a collar on from, from Bill, from Iron Will. Do you guys suggest yeah. collars on, is that kind of a neither here nor there? Do you, you guys sometimes say, Hey, a collar is not a bad idea with the 204s. I know oh, gluing I them incorrectly is big, so. No, I love collars. I mean, collars are just a pain in the butt to pull from a bag target. So the only reason it's, it's like having a half out on. Now, if you can pull it off, if you don't glue the collar on and then you just, if you're going to practice in a bag, you know, then that's the only frustration I have with a collar is they're hard to pull from bags. They snag on it, but they add a ton of strength to an arrow. I mean, like, I mean, it's sure. I mean, there's, they've been using footer collars are not new. I mean, heck they've been using footers on trad arrows for decades you know, 50, 60 years. I mean, it's, it's a great thing to do if you want to add durability for sure. Gotcha. And I mean, we, we don't have air, we don't sell them. I mean, for our, our line, it doesn't mean we don't think it's a good idea. It's just, you know, there's just a lot of people doing it already. So that's, you know, and it's, it's, uh, adds a lot of complication to this setup. So it's just, I think a lot of people just don't have the time you know, or the will to want to mess with it. But you yeah, to, if you're willing to do it, I think it's a good thing to, good thing to play with. Sure. It's definitely something too. You have to um, understand arrow spine and, and weakening it and potentially needing to drop a spine. And, and that's something we probably should even start talking about is arrow spine and how to figure that out. Cause we'll be on here for nine hours. But when you're, um, when you're adding things to your arrow, it changes the spine. And so you can't look at the Easton chart and then throw a 25 grain, um, you know, a uh, collar on there and not expect it to change something. So you have to take that into the equation when you're figuring out your arrow. Now, before we move on to, to, to sever, cause we'll end up talking about arrows forever, gluing in the hit insert, the most biggest yeah. mistake I find anybody does. Cause a lot of guys just glue them in with, with, with super glue. You guys want to talk about that a little bit and what is wrong with super glue and why it is bad. Yeah. It just sets up fast, right? So everybody wants, everybody wants instant gratification and, and they want to go shoot their arrows now, but they don't want to plan ahead of time. So, you know, everything has a consequence. And when you, when you have any fast drying glue, whether it's super glue or even a five minute epoxy, um, they just, you do lose a little bit of ultimate strength when you use a glue like that. Will it work? Sure. Yes, it will. But you got to make sure I guess, let me first say, I would much prefer hearing people use like a 24-hour epoxy no matter what. I don't care what an arrow is because you're going to, if you want durability and you want your arrows to stay together and all of that and you're hunting, 
don't risk a hunt you've been trying to put in for for 15 years on anything but like something that's going to just provide the best solution. So 24 hour epoxy is like the best. Um, if you're going to use a super glue on an insert, make sure it's a rubber toughened super glue. So that's what, when we Easton sells our glue, like we sell our own branded glue. Um, it's orange. It's our orange glue. It's our quick bond. But we, we specifically say this is an insert glue. And, and the reason we do that is that we, we have rubber toughening agents added to the glue and that's why it can handle the shock. So we, that glue is approved for our hit insert, but it's still way better to use epoxy. I mean, it's, that's kind of a, if you have to use it, use it, but I would much rather use an epoxy. And one of the things I've, when guys are in a hurry, right. And I get it. They got a new bow, whatever. Don't be afraid. If you're going to use super glue, just use, do it with one arrow to tune it while you're waiting for everything else to dry. And I am not telling you to use super glue, but if you're bound and determined to have one dry immediately and you're in a hurry, the problem with super glue is it's going to break easy. And if you hit an hard, hard objects, it will break loose. And then the, the, your field point will go in and crack the carbon. And when it's more rubberized, it has a little, it's, it's built for that specific insert uh, system. I'm not, you may glue him with hot melt, or excuse me, glue them in with hot melt. You may glue them in with um, super glue and be the best shot in the world and never notice anything bad. For the most part, though, you're going to hit the leg of an animal, the rebar, the whatever, and your arrow's toast when you you have a high higher well, probability. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, too, and when that arrow starts to fail, you know, it's not the broadhead's fault. It's not the arrow's fault. It's your fault for using super glue, right? And But people don't realize that. So what will happen is, the minute that glue bond breaks, it's game over. I mean, all your energy transfer to the to the animal is compromised now. You're, you hit it spot on. The arrow's going to crack, probably break, penetrate. Whatever penetration you had going for you is gone, and it stops. It's game over right there. Whenever that happens, right? Yeah. So it, that, if that happens on the front side, entry side of an animal, you know the outcome's not going to be so good and. You, and people will never really know the rest of the story, but, you know, just take the time, use the right glue. And it's one more thing. It's just one more thing to try to shore up because bow hunting's full of things that never go right. Yeah. And <laughs> but I, you can, yeah. I've, I've gotten in fairly, I now I don't get on forums anymore. I don't really like reading about myself and I don't want to, you know, I get on there to help people and I don't get on there to argue. I have seen guys videos uh, with Axis and in 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 spirit of full candor, I shoot several broadheads. I don't shoot Eastern arrows. I used to shoot them all the time. I like Eastern. I got nothing wrong with them, but I am a defender of common sense, and I like Axis arrows. And I have seen people post videos slow motion, and I know damn good and well they're using super glue, and it irritates me because it's like, you know, don't hate the player, hate the game. Like, hey. It's not Easton's fault. It's your fault. Do not glue them in with super glue. It's going to have yeah. a negative side to it. So have a little bit of foresight, have the glue ready or have time. Or like I said, if you're, if you're wanting to tune your bow, paper tune it, glue one up with, with super glue and mark that one. Um, do not glue all of your hit inserts in with super glue. This has been a pet peeve of mine. If you guys have probably figured out for a long time because it pisses me off because yeah. I'll see a guy 
crack the end of his arrow and he'll be like, man, I hate this system. And I'm like, dude, that's like one of the best systems ever invented. Let me, let me just quickly just say one thing too. The, the other thing that can cause that people don't realize that can cause problems is if you don't use the stone that comes with the arrow to, to, to chamfer the inside of it, 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 it that can be a problem too, because the broadhead companies, if they're good, they're going to put a radius at the back of the broadhead shoulder where it, the stem comes out. And that radius, if you don't chamfer the inside of the arrow, can interfere. And if you tighten the broadhead down, it can actually put pressure on the, the ID of the arrow and cause it to, to, to fail there. So you got to, there's more to it. I mean, you got to do it right. Using the right glue is part of it. Prepping the arrow right with that stone is, is the other big part of that. But if you do both of those things, um, that's, you're, you should be in good shape. And, and if you put a footer on top of that, there's nothing, there's not a better system on the market than a, an arrow with a hit insert and a footer in terms of ultimate strength. Yeah. Just, you know, if you just want the best of the best, no matter what, that's it. Hit insert, footer, um, you know, epoxy, and it, you're golden. Gotcha. So, um, Let's, we're going to end up, we've just spent 40 minutes talking about uh, arrows and we haven't even talked about sever broadheads or Delta <laughs> McKenzie. Okay. We, can, we, can, we can go as long as you need. Um, so one of the things I wanted to ask getting off the, the arrow subjects, we kind of went, you know, started talking about super slam selects um, with uh, you, Easton outdoor products. You, you got one of the, the two of the things I liked with what you guys offered was uh, snowshoes and your walking sticks. And, uh, I had a kilo tint. I liked that. Why did you guys get away from, was that just basically, you know, good designs? I mean, you guys won a lot of awards with what you offered. Did you guys get away with that to, to focus on other products? What was the reason? And, and what did you, I guess, learn from whatever went wrong with that? Um, so we, I would, Easton has always thought of themselves as an innovation company. Um, you know, we're a hundred years old. We pretty much invented modern, modern archery. You know, prior to us coming out with what the, the, the arrow, the aluminum arrow, I mean, prior to that, it was steel or whatever, but I mean, it was, archery was an indigenous thing. I mean, it was Native Americans. It was what they did with their craft. And, and through an, a hunting accident, our founder, Doug Easton, um, came across Dr. Saxon Pope's book, and that's kind of what the nexus was. So, I mean, we innovated the arrow, which led to the hockey stick and the baseball bat. We actually helped put man on the moon. There's an Easton tube up on the moon. Um, all of those were Easton innovation. Um, in the military, there's things called atomic clocks. And there's, it's how the U.S. government tells time. And all of the GPSs we use are set on atomic clocks. Each one of those atomic clocks has a piece of an Easton arrow in it, um, for example. So we see, like, innovation as a huge part of what we do. So, like, it's only natural that we want to try to do things in other things. So tents, trekking poles, that was just, we were just kind of following our instincts and going, we can make this stuff better. Um, and so things that were Easton firsts, we did in those things. So the Easton snowshoes, we won the outdoor industry gear of the year award for that. The Easton kilo tent, we won that award for that. And we were, think of it as a startup. I mean, we weren't a snowshoe company. We weren't a tent company. And here we are winning an award out from underneath, you know, companies that that's all they do. So big kudos to us for winning the award. What we didn't realize was we've always thought of us as a product company 
and in archery, we've always been fortunate to just kind of be a dominant player and we have distribution. We couldn't get distribution. We couldn't get placement with our product. Retailers, if they weren't also carrying baseball bats or hockey sticks or arrows, they didn't know who Easton was, you know? So we just struggled to get placement, frankly, um, in those other categories. And it just, we did it for a few years and, you know, we decided to exit, but we, we learned a lot and we, we had some fun doing some really cool products in there for sure. But, um, you know, I think we learned a lot though, that, that helped pave the way for things that we did with Sever, for example. Um, you know, because like, is it is now a good time to just transition? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause I, I, mean, I, I, I want to, before we transition to your portion of it, one of the, the things with Sever, which I don't want to go into the story of what all you guys had to do to make the, the Sever come to fruition. Cause I shot the Omer Edge, which is the yeah. Sever, uh, was a huge fan of, of the Omer Edge. And, and my farthest shot on an animal, which I'm not going to brag about the distance, but was far, was with a Sever, not not a fixed. It was with a Sever. And I knew, like, there was different – you guys had to reinvent the wheel. Um, you had to put some legwork into getting that back on the market. Um, and, and, and so I guess go ahead and talk about what you learned from – the Eastern outdoor product side of it and what kind of a shit show it was to, to, to get Sever on the yeah, market. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I, re- I mean, there's four P's of marketing, right? You got product price placement and promotion. And if you don't have all of those things running well, you're going to struggle. So like, you know, it with Sever, we knew like this product is awesome, but if we couldn't get placement, there's a lot of awesome broadheads that just don't ever survive. And it's probably one of the areas in archery that has the highest failure rate in terms of companies. There's, there's always a new broadhead company at ATA every, every freaking year. And they're never there the next year. Um, and you know, there's probably, I don't know, it's not, I, I'm not, you know, there's 50 to hundred broadhead companies easily in archery, I would say. So it's super, super crowded. And the, the big dogs in there that, you know, when we were looking at Sever, I mean, the big brands that are in all the big stores, they own that market. And who's this new brand that's going to come in and, and get them off the shelf and get placement. So what we learned with the East, I would say with the East Intense and the other things was that placement's a big deal, bigger than we thought maybe before. And um, if we can't disrupt the market, we're not going to get placement no matter how cool the product is. And furthermore, the Sever concept like that design is expensive. Um, There's a lot of just high precision stuff that goes on in the mechanics of it. So like if, even if we, we tried to sell it through regular retail channels, I mean, it's going to be super expensive and then that would cause a price problem and and a placement problem. So when I was looking at that in the beginning, I knew if we didn't, if we didn't go consumer direct, we, it would be a, a big struggle. And, and I'm really, in a, in a way, I'm really glad that I got to live through the, the tent side of things because, you know, when we did the tents and the poles, because um, I don't know that we would have maybe chosen the path we chose had we not like been down that road before. So, um, so I think that was a big deal. And, and knowing that, so I, so Sever is a cool product. Absolutely. And I, I too was a fan of Ulmer and the Ulmer edge and all that, but I believe that what makes Sever, so successful today. I mean, it's, yes, it's a cool product, but it's also how we sell it. And it's, and, and the way our business model is 
is unique to broadheads because I don't know. I mean, there might be some now, but at the time, I don't believe there was a broadhead company that was dedicated to only consumer direct. Um, Not that I and, know of. And, you know, being able to sell them any quantity you want. Um, I felt like service is huge, especially in today's market where, like, you know, everybody's so well connected. They don't need a company to tell them what good is or a company to tell them what to buy. They know what to buy more than I know what they should buy, right? Like, so how dare me tell our customers what they, you know, should get? I mean, so what was more important than that is, and I think, you know, I thank Jason Harrison for that. I mean, he was a good friend of mine and, um, you know, I learned a lot from him and, and what he did with Kuyu. So like, you know, that, that concept of being transparent with your customers and having a good relationship with your customers is huge to me. And so taking that, with our, with our model and being able to do everything different. So if you look at Sever, right? Like there's nothing we do that's normal in broadhead. Three packs aren't what we do. We sell any quantity you want. We sell direct. That's different. We sell a product that's, you know, it's unique and patented. So that's unique and different. But every Sever customer buys it from us. And so we have a personal relationship with every one of our customers. So we try to maintain the highest level of service. Um, and, you know, we, we, try to bend over backwards for our people. If, they, if something happens and they need, you know, something, a blade or what we, no, I, I, I hear stories all the time of our customer service folks overnighting heads to hunting camp because something happened. They got lost in the mail or like a guy's bowcase broke in flight or whatever. Or in my and case, we just want to try to be different. I you killed know? too much so, and you guys had to overnight some to me. Yeah. We, I mean, it's just, we, I mean, we do what we can, man. Yeah, we just do what we can to try to, we just want to make people's lives easier. I mean, and that has, ever since I created Sever, honestly, the product was like, it was hard to do, but it was way more work, I think, to just create the infrastructure to make a good experience, good consumer experience and to pull that off and do it well is, I think, more key to our success than the product itself. Um even though the product is cool. Am I explaining myself right? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I, you know, for, for, for me, um, I, again, I had really good luck with the, the Omer edge and I, I, it was one of those, there's a lot of broadheads on the market. I actually recently did a, a broadhead review and, you know, without going into a ton of different, uh, different companies and in issues. What, one of the things that I look at with the mechanical broadhead durability, right? That's a big one. A lot of mechanicals out there get bashed because they're not durable. And a lot of them aren't durable. Um, consistency, you know, people think that you screw a mechanical on when you get at longer distances. If that, that ferrule is not straight, it does not hit like a uh, field point. Um, never had that issue. You know, how easy, you know, obviously changing blades, you know, blade retention, does it open up in the bush, right? Like there's rear deploying um, broadheads that if you hook the blade up on a bush, it will snap the plastic retainer and then the broadheads open. Um, Those are all the things that I look at. How easy do they stay closed when they go into a a quiver? And so with the sever, um, I like the fact, you know, you can lock them up for practice. So you can lock them up, shoot the same broadhead for practice, and then unlock it. You're ready to go. <clears throat> Probably something you guys may not suggest. I can double band it. Rubber. I can put two rubber bands on that specifically for turkey. Um, 
I, and I want it to take more uh, momentum to open up the broadhead. If I'm saying shit that you guys don't recommend, then uh, just tell me that in a minute. I liked that. And then I liked the fact I could notch out my foam and make a perfect slot and not have to worry about the broadhead opening in my quiver. Um, you know, meaning the, the, the blades deploying. The next thing I liked yeah. was just the catastrophic damage it, it did. Um, and I had heard some crazy stories. I'm sure you guys have as well as arrows doing U-turns because of the pivoting blade. I've shot a lot of animals. And when I'm talking triple digits with a sever, I have never seen the arrow go in and come out at a different angle. I have heard stories like that. I would think it's kind of like Bigfoot. If anybody's going to see Bigfoot, it'd probably be me. I'm in the woods a lot. I, I have not noticed that. I have noticed well, it actually being an advantage. Yeah. So I, I mean, I've done a lot of testing, developing the head with a, you know, $20,000 camera that's super, super high speed. So we had, we rented one um, and did a lot of shoot a shot testing. And one of our most popular social videos is that one of the broadhead deflection off the bone. Have you seen that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Slow motion I, video. Yeah, lots yeah, of horror stories about that. Yeah. So that, that was super huge for me. When I saw that happen, um, I was like, whoa, that's awesome. So like, I, here's what I've come to realize with all that. Like there's a lot going on in a bow hunting environment, right? Those animals have a sixth sense about them and they move before the arrow gets there and they're moving the whole time the arrow's going through them. Now, granted, this is happening in like a split second. All this is happening. But I think what happens with arrow deflection is twofold. Certainly it can happen off the most likely way of deflection to happen is off of the blade. And that is the part that severed deals with well, because that blade pivoting prevents deflection from a blade, but the arrow can still deflect off the bone or whatever. And, and that's, I can't help you there. I mean, that's once the broadhead passes, you know, the rib cage, if the animal jacks you know, jukes and jives a little bit, and the arrow makes contact. I mean, that arrow can shift, right? Based on any number of things going on. So the sever does a big, a, a huge important thing as far as deflection. And where, where I would say that it really prevents it is on steep quartering shots. Mechanical broadhead, it gets really sketchy when you're trying to shoot a mechanical on a steep quartering because that blade has to open you know, on impact. And, and what the sever pivot does is it allow it, it in a way it, it allows the blade to pivot away from the animal on the far side. It opens completely uninterrupted, but it allows the broadhead to make contact and start penetration before the blade then starts cutting. Right. So deep quartering shots, I think are the most Lip. noticeable benefit to having the pivoting blade from a deflection standpoint, because Lip. you're not going to deflect on the entry. Does that make, make Yeah. Well, I'm going to add to that because, uh, I've had four different animals where, you know, back in the day, my broadhead penetrated off and I, I won't go into the company, but if people can imagine, take your, take a piece of plywood, a piece of paper, a notebook, and then take your pen and then run your pen at a steep angle towards that. You know, when you run that pen at a steep angle, if the onside blade hits at the same time the point does, or or even worse, before, as it hits that, the eraser of your pen or pencil is going to start pivoting away. One blade will open in the, in the arrow, and I've seen it happen from guiding and myself, 
the arrow pivots off like a boomerang away from the animal. When you have a forward yeah. deploying blade or something with huge edges coming out, more than most likely that is going to go between the hide and the body and skip right down or actually bounce off or pivot off. With the sever, when that arrow hits and the entry starts, when the blade opens, you don't have the onside blade causing deflection against the body because the offside blade is opening so it stays on the same trajectory. And I can tell you I've shot a couple steep angles with these and entry and exit is exactly as it should be where if you have a blade that hits ahead of time, what happens is the tail end of your arrow starts coming off. It'll start to pivot towards a 90 degree off the animal and rotate off of it. I don't know if I did a better job explaining it than you did, but it's shitty when it happens when you're hunting. Sure. And it doesn't happen with severs. No, not at all. In fact, there's not a shot I won't take. I mean, other than a bad shot, right? Like I wouldn't take that, but like steep quartering, I don't care. I mean, I actually like them because you know, you can't really miss when you on a nice steep quartering away. I mean, that's, my favorite shot that audit that you shot a couple uh well probably a month ago now aaron uh that was a pretty steep shot and that buried right in yeah you, you know it was funny with that because normally nobody read the context to that because that was um it was an injured uh audad and we could tell it was sick and so i didn't have my rifle i just wanted to get an arrow in it and so when i i had actually um a 2.1 one of the old school the original severs um, yeah. and that thing, right when I, I had stopped it, it, it was at a pretty far distance. It started just as to step, but I was already, you know, it, I, I didn't mind taking the shot. I let it a little and then it hit high, caught the scapula, had caught the top of the lung on the onside. And then obviously straight, I mean, it, if you could see what it did to the, uh, animal, um, it was extremely impressive. I think, um, Craig, you had actually said, uh, asked about penetration and I'm like, well, dude, I, I shot it at this distance and it bounced off the offside shoulder and I went through the onside scapula. I was impressed with, <laughs> I mean, at that distance, I was impressed because what it did when it hit that onside scapula, I hit kind of the top corner is it nicked it, but the onside blade did what it was supposed to do to allow the penetration and then buried into the offside to where if I hit with a different type of a broadhead, it would have taken the full brunt of that impact, not pivoted away to get, and I would have stopped my momentum, and then it it bounced off the offside knuckle, and that would that shot was getting up upwards of triple digits. We just needed to get it down. We wanted the biologist to test it. I thought that was, I mean, I, you know, people, there's always haters that say don't take the shot, but the thing was sick. I just wanted to put it down. The penetration I got on that, yeah. I was extremely impressed. And that was a 2.1. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. And then now here we are, what, third generation? So, I mean, now we're on our second generation 2.0. So, really, you know, three generations in on that two inch broadhead. Um, nothing wrong with the original 2.1. It's just we've made, Every time we've tweaked something, it's been, you know, a little bit more efficiency gain every time. So, you know, we, we tend to get a little better every time. Um, we're there, though, man. We've got it pretty well dialed in now. I, I, I don't know what more I can do to make it better. I mean, yeah. that's the cool thing about Sever 2 is we try to listen to our customers. Um, so we'll make little improvements here and there with, you know, if we got customers that are recommending or they're looking for something, 
you know, we'll definitely take a look into that. And I think our customers really, our customer base really appreciates that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we listen. I mean, for sure. I mean, everything we've done to change it came from consumer feedback, hundred um, percent. There's stuff that I wouldn't have done, you know, if I didn't get consumer feedback. So yeah, it's hugely important. Yeah. And I, you know, I, we obviously, you know, hunting wise, I, you know, I'm lucky. I go back, I get to hunt a lot. I go back and forth between a stick and a compound. Um, but you know what we get to see, you know, not, not all bows I will say are, are maybe made, you know, if you're a 24 inch draw length at 44 pounds, mechanical broadhead may not be the, the head for, for you, but for the most part, like, uh, my buddy, Brian Rotier with Rotier Outfitting, he's got a deal up in South Dakota. He recommends the sever mm-hmm. for everything. Um, Scotty, uh, you know, as far as mechanicals go, we recommend the sever. It's not like one, you guys pay us or, or two that, that you're like our, you know, poster child sponsor. It's from all the shit we see die. Right. I mean, that is the thing that people have to understand when you're an outfitter and a guide, you learn real fast when you're going through 40, 50, 60 animals a year, what performs, what doesn't, what has issues, what doesn't. And let's say there's an equal performing broadhead, mechanical broadhead to a sever, meaning penetration in flight. Does that broadhead open up in bushes? Well, it just lost the race to me because the last thing you want is going through, you're on a stock, your arrow's knocked, and you have to go through, let's say, just six feet of, of buck brush. And then you go to full yeah. draw, the bottom blade's hanging down, it hits your riser when you go to full draw and pops off your bowstring. This shit happens. This isn't like I'm making this up. I watched this happen. And then the dude dry fired his bow because adrenaline with an animal. So it, that is something you do not have to worry about with, with sever. And I, I don't want to pump your tires up too much, but when you bu- are busting brush enough, or for example, you see a guy pull his broadhead out of the quiver and Oh Lord, uh, one of the broadheads I don't really like that has a re- kind of a crappy retaining system. The blades are flopping around like a pinata. Well, now we're trying to shoot an animal. So I'm trying to like reach up, clip the blades together. Hope to God they stay. Did the plastic little clippy thing wear out? Okay. Throw that arrow down. Now I'm holding it. He's yanking out another arrow. These are like first world problems that I see every day. And so one of the reasons we recommend them isn't just the, the, the devastation. It's not just the consistency and those things. It's also the fact they're just not a pain in the ass when you're trying to shoot something. And, and there's a lot to be said for that. And believe me, when you have it happen with an animal a lifetime in front of you and you got a blade flipping around, you'll never shoot that broadhead again, I promise, because you've just lost your opportunity at that animal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As you can see. Know, that's one thing. So with Sever, uh, we got that silicone O-ring, right, that holds the blades in place. And I think it, sometimes people view that as kind of like old technology, but from all the testing we've done, that silicone O-ring is awesome. Just it doesn't weather. Um, it's going to hold the blades in place. Um, it, you do have some flexibility there, where it's, you're you are shoving your broadhead up in your quiver. Um, you do got some some room there that it's not going to break uh, as soon as those blades deploy um, or well start to deploy. Yeah, the the O-ring the O-ring thing is a good one. I, I love that conversation because like people are just so quick to get the. One of the first questions we get from tire kickers is, does it have an O-ring? Yep. You know, and it's like, well, yeah, we, it does, but 
what people need to realize is if a broadhead design, if another broadhead design uses an O-ring and it sucks, that's not the O-ring's fault. It's the broadhead design's fault. So if you got a blade sticking out to your earlier point and it's going to get caught on brush, that's not the, the, the O-ring, if it's there or not, wouldn't have made that any better. And, and so if you, and so our design where the blades are hidden, I like to tell people the O-ring is a non-issue because the blades are hidden. That's what's fixing the problem. It's not whether it has an O-ring on it or not. Now, material selection is a big deal. A lot of the previous, we'll call them older broadheads, I mean, even the older edge used rubber, like dental bands, the rubber bands. Um, those things were latex-based. They would rot in the sun. They'd, be, they'd get brittle in the cold. So, like, just being smart about what materials we choose, we're using a silicone um, that doesn't, that's unaffected by temperature and um, way better in the UV in the sun and all that. So we, we really, once we get people on the sever train, they don't, they don't hate on it. And the other thing is it's super reliable. And so, you know, what else is out there on the market that's, you know, in fairly inexpensive because you don't want to charge more for the retention system than you would the product. But what, what else is out there besides an O-ring that's just super repeatable and reliable and, and it works. And it, that's the thing I go back to is like people like try to overcomplicate things that they shouldn't overcomplicate and trying to design a different retention system because a sales rep is whining because it has an O-ring on it is the wrong reason to design something in my opinion. You know, you, you got to step back and look at it and you go, okay, you know, why, why do it at all? And, and you got to, you know, quality, you know, and reliability have to be number one and two, you know, in terms of why you do something. And if it can't be better than an O-ring for, for both of those things, I don't even want to think about it, you know? So I love the O-ring. I mean, people ask me all the time, will you ever change away from it? And it, I, I'm going to be honest, I think it'll be a tall order because I just don't believe in any of the other retention systems that are out on the market. I just think they're, they're sketchy for, for quality and or reliability. So until I see something better out there, I, I'm really happy with what we've got in that standpoint. Yeah. No, well, no, no and, complaints and Eric, on we've never, my we've end. never had, I've never had a sever not deploy ever. Yeah, well, no, I did one. The guy left the practice mode screw in when he shot the deer. But That's it died. He, he actually killed that. Yeah, he that killed deer. He killed he the deer. Pictures. He shot a doe in uh, practice mode. It was just a good shot. And you he killed it. it. Yeah, but but we've never had. I mean, they're just so reliable, and we've never had. I I've never had a blade break that wasn't like that was in an animal like that. I mean, where a blade like actually broke. Um, I've seen that on a ton of other broadhead designs, and that locking pivoting design, it acts like a giant shock absorber as well. You know, as well as all the other stuff we talked about, and it just with today's high-speed bows and crossbows, and that's another thing we haven't even talked about, but the sever is, like, awesome out of a crossbow. And those things are putting out, you know, 500 feet per second arrows now. They're just shearing blades off of broadheads that don't pivot, you know. So there's just so many good things about the design that nobody even knows. Shearing you know, like, up in uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to have that issue. We just don't get those complaints. And I, I had so many friends that in the industry, um, one of my really good friends that helped me design the Severhead was an engineer for a major broadhead company for like 25 years. And he said, Oh, welcome to the broadhead business. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, go get ready for the complaints to come in come August. We don't get them. I mean, it's, 
it, I love August because all we get is fan mail. And, and Craig's the guy on the front lines dealing with it. And it, isn't that true? Yeah, like, just, just from when we started um, to like last year, especially with COVID, it, it, our sales kind of went through the roof just because everyone was kind of locked in and they had to order broadheads online. Um, last year was absolutely insane with how much feedback we were getting and the positive feedback and how many kill shots we were getting uh, through, you know, Instagram, Facebook and stuff. It's been really cool to watch it grow. No, I'm sure. And I'm I actually, when you said that, I'll send you guys a video. A buddy of mine, well, he's a friend now. He was a client. He shot a javelina with, uh, I think it's 74-pound Hoyt with the uh, a sever, in, uh, and he had it locked in for practice mode. And when he hit it, you know how you see movies where a guy gets hit with a bullet and he blows back like three feet, and you're like, yeah, that never happened. Anyway. That it rocked that javelina, and he he hit it right where I suggest people is like right in the shoulder because those things like to live. It stoned that thing, blew it back like eight nine inches off the ground, and it landed. And I'm like, was that on practice mode? He was like, no, no. And I'm like, no, I think it was. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, bro. I was like, that thing blew back like a movie, and sure enough, it was on. It killed it right there. But I it it, it definitely. Uh, I, I'm glad he wasn't shooting an elk or anything, but. It, it hammered it. it. The cool thing about that was we pulled that thing out and we didn't really have to. We replaced the O-ring and he killed his sheep the next day with the same broadhead. Um, uh, not like, I mean, obviously we should have had it open, but it didn't bend the feral and he rocked that thing right in the shoulder. So he, he killed a giant ram two days later, actually the same broadhead. Yeah. And we, we've even seen in like slow motion footage and stuff, the, the way we've designed like the tip geometry and everything, the way the, the blades sit in relation to the tip. Um, we've seen a lot of times on like slow motion where before the blades really even make impact with the bones, the, the bones are already broken. So that chisel tip actually has a pretty functional purpose um, in clearing the obstacles out of the way before the blades go in to do their job. And I, and that's one of the reasons like on our, our 1.5, um, I always tell people, like, if you're shooting something big, like a big elk, big moose, whatever, or if you just care, penetration is, like, super important to you, the 1.5 is so special because the tip is so far forward of the pivot point um, that it really does that. So, you know, it'll it'll just pulverize the bone before the blades even make contact, and you shoot, you've shot a lot of them. I, I have yet to see, like, a 1.5 with a mangled blade. Like, they just, they just come out unscathed so much that um, it really just helps my confidence, you know, and, and what I've done, like just my own hunts, but just what I've seen everybody else put them through and man, they're just so good um, from a durability standpoint. Aaron, I was going to ask you a question. Do you, have you ever shot a one five sever out of your trad bow in a hunting situation? I did finally. I never talk. I didn't talk about it. It was for Turkey. Um, I, I don't know that I would do anything other than Turkey, but <laughs> The problem I had had was with uh, fixed blades was just blowing through them, um, and so and I don't want that with a turkey. You know, you know, some people argue with me. I like the arrow to stay in a turkey. They're hard enough to kill to begin with, so an arrow sticking through them is great. It slows them down. So I I shot. I think I just shot one. I did exactly what I'd hoped. It went straight through. The point was barely sticking out at the other side with a one five. That was with a fifty seven gram or a fifty seven pound recurve. Uh, in a 604 grain arrow, I had 275 grains up front. 
and zero on a turkey. On a turkey, yeah, a turkey. Never shot, never shot a deer or anything, never tried. But with the turkey, I wanted the arrow to stay in, and so I figured I would try it. So I did shoot one. I didn't, honestly, I didn't want to deal with the internet crowd by doing that or listen to anyone. But um, right. you asked the question, so I'm not going to lie to you. Worked fine. Did, did exactly as advertised. The arrow was sticking out about one inch out of the other side, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want the arrow to pass through it. It was a big tom at full strut when I hit it, so I'd had a lot of cushion. Uh, because of those feathers, but I, it still did what I wanted it to. If do me a favor one time, and if you ever keep a one five in your quiver, if you're trout hunting on a on a hunt that you're not, there's not a lot at stake, like a doe or so. I'm curious to see just how you know how it would do on a trout. But we get that question all the time, and I I always just tell people, you know, my, my kind of my general recommendation is, you know, fifty pounds is kind of a good kind of a good minimum for a compound shooter for most hunting situations. Um, for a two Oh, I, I drop it, you know, 10 pounds for a one five. I'd say, yeah, if you're shooting 40 pounds, go to the one five. This, this is just totally just BS numbers. I throw at people. It's not BS, but it's just like shot placement, everything. But I think it's a good recommendation, right? Well, so with my, curious, like, my, trad setup. my wife, my, shoots my, a 410 grain arrow at 47 pounds. And uh, with uh-huh. now with with her, I'm not saying she wouldn't have problems with an elk, um, you know, but I, I generally, you know, I, being honest, whatever, I, I usually have her shoot uh, a fixed blade. But whitetails, I don't know, I think she shot four with a one five and she didn't pass through every one of them. One of them she kind of hit a little bit back and, uh, you know, veins were sticking out. She got pass throughs on two of them. And so whitetails. Zero issue. She killed a uh, dad with a 1.5 uh, with no problems and not a beefy setup. And, and you know, I'm obviously um, a guy that, you know, is constantly answering questions for, for people with setups. The thing that people need to, you know, realize is um, if you're shooting really low, low poundage and a relatively light arrow, you're not going to make it through the scapula anyway. Me, I'll make it through unless I hit the T of the scapula. I, I can shoot, and I have through elk shoulders, um, not the knuckle. I'm not saying the knuckle, but the right. backside of the elk shoulder. You know, is my wife going to make it through a whitetail shoulder, um, especially if there's a lot of movement when she shoots? Maybe, maybe not with a 1.5, um, but everything she hit in the lungs, it's zipped right through with the 1.5. And that's, again, that's a 410-grain arrow at 47 pounds. She's got a 27-and-a-half-inch draw. My wife's Amazon. She's like 5'11". She's tall. Um, I don't have an issue suggesting that. I just think people should realize what they're getting into. If you're going to try to shoot a f- small fixed blade at a white tail and you hit it in the stomach, you are going to have a lot more issues finding that animal than if you hit it with a larger cutting diameter or potentially click the clip the liver. I don't want to get into this long drawn out thing because people ask me and I'm like, look, with a whitetail, there's a higher percentage of hitting uh, esophagus or excuse not esophagus, diaphragm, liver and stomach than there is the shoulder. And in that case, you want to cater to a wider cutting diameter. If you're at a poundage that you think you're comfortable with and you said 50 pounds, my wife's at 47 uh, I kind of go off my minimum. I kind of cater to a mechanical because you're not going to make it through the shoulder anyway with a with a fixed blade. I don't think, or usually not, and the shoulder's a lot yeah. smaller than the stomach. Yeah, yeah. 
I personally, I have no problem doing it. Um, and, and I lower pound every year I get older, I'd lower, it seems like my bow weight goes down. I mean, I'm down to 58 now. And, um, but I still have no, no qualms. Now I'm a heavy arrow guy and I like my arrows are pushing 600. I think I'm like 575. Um, when I'm hunting whitetail, I mean, that's close in bears, whitetail, you know, tree stand stuff. Yep. But, um, but yeah, I have no, no qualms shooting anything. No, I, two O or one five. And I was just going to say, if my wife was going to hunt, uh, let's say elk with a one five, yeah. I would just bump her up to a 500 grain arrow and I would have zero issue because people have to understand, like when you look at the Ashby foundation, which I don't agree with a lot of what they or some of what they say, but they did not have the technology of the bows they have these days. And so the only thing you have when you have a slow bow is a heavy arrow to help with that. But as technologies came uh, along, you don't, you know, you don't, you're not shooting a longbow at 160 feet per second, right? And so you have technology on your side. Now, having said that, when you have a little bit lighter weight, yes, bump the arrow weight up, especially if you're in that 20, 30 yard range and you're, you know, you may be firing a log out there at, you know, let's say 225 feet per second. Well, I've been hunting with 180 feet per second, right? So and I'm blowing through everything with a stick bow with a fixed blade. So when you t- start talking 220, 230 with a uh, 475, 500 grain arrow, you will have no issues with most animals with a 1.5, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I actually sent um, – so Dallas Coda, he's a sales rep for, for Kuyu. Uh, he's up in Canada. And his daughter last year took uh, – a really nice Yukon moose. And I think she's shooting 45 or 50 pounds, but they did, they beefed up her arrow and then they used that 1.5 and she actually got a pass through on that moose. It, they called it into like 17 or 20 yards. I forgot which, which one it was, but it, it was pretty close, but she still got a full pass through at low poundage like that. Impressive the penetration on that 1.5. Yeah. Oh, no, that's awesome. Um, Hey, uh, guys, I've got uh, South Cox is here to new, uh, do a podcast, so I don't want to cut this off totally. I want to talk about the uh, the targets a little bit. Um, I, yeah, I'm obviously a big fan. I got a pile of them in my backyard. People saw that yesterday. And, and I've, you know, I'm, I, I tell people all the time, I've got some Reinhardts at, at my, in my yard. One of the things that I, you know, look at when I'm setting up a backyard 3D course, long-term durability. Um and then affordability. Uh, you guys have a couple different options as far as that goes. You want to talk about where you guys are at in targets? Are you making any changes, some of the different offerings, things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, when I took over product development over the target line, that's about a year and a half ago, two years ago, one of my big priorities was um, become the best in class in 3D foam. Targets. So I put a lot of time into that. And we've got a new foam it's kind of been 18 months in the making that we just launched this last year. And actually the, the sever target line was the pilot program for it. So the foam that's currently being shipped in the new sever target, we call it easy pull foam, um, is our kind of our latest and greatest foam. We, once we proved it there, we put it in the, the Delta pro 3d line. So the, all the targets used by the ASA tournament with all the pro shooters are now using that foam too. So um, I think it's the best cord foam on the market. And, and I don't say that lightly. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't truly believe it. Um, 
I felt like Reinhardt made the best 3D target on the market, foam-wise. And um, prior to this foam, I would have put them as, I thought they had an awesome foam. And I feel like today, we've got the best foam for durability, you know, balancing durability with pull force. Because with foam, you can go to the really easy pull stuff, the really easy, easy pull stuff, like the Nerf football feeling stuff, but it's, you love, you, the durability suffers. You go too high on durability, then you can't get them out. So it's a, it's a really fine balancing act, and I feel like we've got there. Um, and the stuff, the feedback we're getting from the ASA target shooters, I consider that more valuable than anything. And I've never, this is the first year I've ever been getting feedback from ASA shooters where they're like, the thing's perfect. Like, we love it. It's not chunking out. It's not wearing out early. It, it, it's easy to pull. You don't need three guys to do it. I mean, like, I just feel like we're there. Um, so the, the Sever target has that. The, the Delta McKenzie, we have a new target in their lineup called the Big 8. We've got the Big 8 and the Big 8 XL, which are our, they're a, a hexagonal eight-sided target. Um, both of those have it. Um, and our whole Pro 3D line now, we've upgraded to this new phone. So big, I, I think big, cool things happening in the Delta front. Um, you know, with that phone, it's a big deal. I mean, that phone, a lot of hard work went into that, and I'm really proud of what it's doing. So. Yeah, no, for for sure. So what, um, like, uh, if you were going to so, okay, so, I just did that long-range video yesterday shooting and got an insane yeah. amount of comments because I got a pile of targets at my house. So for the, from the average Joe all the way up um, with the different offerings you guys have, what would be some of the suggestions for guys starting like their backyard core ba backyard range? Cause not, you know, not everybody can afford a, you know, two, $3,000 elk, but they might want a couple, um, you know, of the, the easier, easy pull, you know, pro targets. Uh, but kind of go over that a little bit. Yeah. So I would say for everyday shooting a bag target, like it's really hard to beat a bag target because they're, um, they're just, they can just take a beating, right. You can put thousands of shots in them. Um, you know, they're super easy to pull two finger extraction. Like, so for just daily reps, I would, I'm a bag target fan when it's time to put my broadheads on. Um, if you just need, don't overlook our, we have a target called the green line, which is a fairly affordable layered target that actually works. Some of the really cheap layered targets, um, you have to be careful of because arrows can pass through them. Um, none of the Delta targets use that cheap foam. So any of Delta's layered targets use a, a, it's a density that's like twice that of our competitors, but it's, it's fairly affordable. So if you're going to want a, like a, a good, fairly low price uh, broadhead target, we have one called, the, it's called the green line and um, awesome target for camp. It's super lightweight. Um, the big difference between a layered target and like a poured foam style target is just in longevity and stopping power. So, you know, if you want it as a camp target, I'm a huge fan of the layered target. But for backyard use, I think that you got to really step up to the poured foam. Um, now, so that you don't break the bank, I mean, like the, the Pro Series ASA targets, I mean, those are, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars $500. You don't have to spend that much money to get a good target. So, like, the Sever targets, as I mentioned earlier, they're made with the same foam that goes into the ASA Pro 3Ds. You can get those for, like, 120 bucks, 125 bucks for the little Sever one, right? Yeah. Um, so that's a, probably the best bang for the buck target wise on the market is that one. Um, the, the big eights, 
in the Delta lineup, use that same foam. So that be your next step up. So why go from a sever to a big eight? Um, sever six sided, big eight eight sided. You're you're going to get more sides on the big eight um, Delta target than you would like on the sever, but it's still the same foam. You're going to step up in price a little bit more. The, the bigger um, big eight we call the XL, the bigger shooting surface has a replaceable core. So you know now you're adding the replaceable core to the feature mix. But any of those are under 200 bucks. Um, and in my opinion, are you know there there's not a better target on the market than those for for like heavy broadhead. You, you know you start putting broadheads in them. Um, that's what's gonna you know you're gonna start shooting them out faster, and that's when you need a little bit more density in the foam and stuff like that. So um, when you're shooting, another thing is a crossbow. So crossbows can be hard to pull out of targets. Um, I would not recommend a layered target for a crossbow, really at all. Um, I would. I mean, you can. Ours is pretty. Ours is the best on the market, and I find that you know if you're shooting a slower crossbow that's maybe sub 400, you know you can get away with layered. But really, for crossbows, I'd stick to bags um, primarily. And if you're gonna shoot a, a like a sever in practice mode out of a crossbow, best hidden secret ever. They they pull so easily out of the target because it the practice mode prevents the arrow from heating up around the foam because it makes a little channel. So, you know, it, I love to keep a couple of severs in practice mode just to use as like crossbow field point because they, they make the arrow so easy to pull. So that's kind of a cool little trick. But um, just keep in mind, you don't want to shoot that, uh, that sever broadhead into a bag target while it's in practice mode. Yeah, I've, I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I've done it. It works. It'll still stop it, but it'll ruin your, it'll ruin your bag in short order. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say one of the targets uh, that surprised me, and I honestly only bought it because uh, I was driving back from the airport in in Midland to to Van Horn, and we needed um, uh, some extra targets. So for just for our our range, uh, I bought the, the a couple of those chunks, the eighteen inch, the bigger one. I, yeah, I was surprised that thing's still going strong. You know, I'm not saying it's the best target in the you know the world by experience, but I mean. For grabbing a couple of targets that were like, I don't know what, I think there was 125 bucks is what I paid for them. Right. We shot the living yeah, shit the, out of it. It's still going strong. Yeah. The, the, the chunk, we replaced it with the green line. The chunk actually had a little heavier density foam than our green line does now. But um, you, they, they, we still sell that chunk in a bigger, you can get it in a three foot long. Uh, it's, a, it's like a, it's what you build a range wall out of. We still sell those in the chunk style foam. Awesome target, like awesome. And that the, the chunk and our green line, they're kind of they're built the exact same way with our welded. We have a welded process that puts those things together, where those layers are, are fused with a heat welding process that um, they can't separate. So, you, you, unlike a banded target, you know they're not going to fall apart and they don't chunk out very easily. They they last a long time. They're it's really a neat a neat way to build a layer target for sure. Yeah, because the original layer targets were messy. Um, and, and every time you guys see say layer, I get a little shell shocked that you should probably add some context to that. It's not just layered foam banded together. You don't get all the debris and crap flying around. There, there's, a, I always say, yeah. an exoskeleton because I'm not smart enough to know what it is. But there's an outer layer around it that you don't get all the debris flying around because when I bought that, chunk which i didn't the the green line i'm just looking at it now which does you know basically the same thing um 
I think that people, for me, like with that green line, you have to understand we are flinging hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of field points and broadheads. So we kind of do a mixture. We got a couple bag targets. We got a few 3Ds, and then we got a couple chunks. Um, Longevity is the big one. Um, that's what people, I think, need to look at. Now, there's a few... I'm not going to mention names. There's a couple recent companies that I've got their bag targets. They've sent me to test that says easy pull. Not all bag targets are made the same. I promise the arrow will not come out of some bag targets. Your guys is yes. They come out of those, but you know, long-term like experience of just flinging arrows that chunks lasted longer than any, any of the other targets we have down there. So I I'm impressed with a green line, whatever. I mean, it, and that's broadheads, fixed blades, mechanicals, everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an awesome target. Good for the money too. I mean, it's, it's sweet. Um, it's, it's when you get into the, I'd say the high volume, the really high volume shooting. I mean, the guys that are shooting every day, um, 20 arrows a day, you know, just doing daily reps. That's where I think you need to step up to the more, the poured foam style. That, that's kind of that threshold. That's kind of what the way I see it. If you're, if you're shooting less than that, like myself, I mean, I, I, I just don't, I'm too busy at work. I just don't get a shoot every day. So if I shoot once a week, that's like doing good for me. Um, a guy like that layered foam all day long. When I say layered, that, like the green line, um, perfect for that, for that type of a situation. Now they're going to pull easier. So even if you're shooting high volume, if you want a better pulling experience, you're going to get that with a layered target. Um, you just will have to replace it more frequently, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. I don't think, you know, you're paying less for it. So it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And I get, you know, that's kind of what I w was hoping you would chime in on. Cause like on, on my end, a lot of times I don't have like, Oh, here, let me stop at the airport and Google for 45 minutes to figure out what targets best. I just run to the local shop and see what they have and hope for the best. Um, yeah. it, it, the bag target thing, but you know, before we hop off here, I strongly suggest for everybody to have at least one bag target. Pulling out is a pleasant surprise, right? Pulling the arrow out is great. They last a long time, and I don't know what you got. I just always throw them on the ground every week, jump on top of them, flip them back up, kind of displaces yeah. the, the inside stuffing. And I don't know how long they'll last, but I've got a couple at the house that I probably had for two or three years. Now they're getting shot out, you know, but <clears throat> for the price, especially, too, if you're, you know, you're getting your bow dialed in, you want to see, you know, it, it's a little bit easier to see bear shaft tuning on a bag target. Um and then obviously it's bigger. You can get it a bigger target for less money. So if your you know chances of missing is you're sighting in, bag targets are something I think everybody should have. Throw them in the back of the truck. Super easy to deal with. They're not messy. Um, so I, I, I people are asking me, and that's the reason why I was bugging. A lot of people have been bugging me about what to get for their backyard. You know, kind of, you know, as they build up their their course, your backyard 3D bucks uh, or or targets are really good. Um, for the money, especially I have a few of them. They're not as good as a pro target, but they're half the price usually. So a couple yep. bag targets or at least one couple block targets, you know, for broadheads and then build up the three D's. I suggest tell guys, get a budget, save up, buy a target a month, a target every two months. They're not that expensive. I mean, I think a couple of the, the deer I had were two sixty nine, like two twenty nine. They weren't horrible price. Yeah. Yeah, I think for the money, like my, I think on our 3D side, we have one called the Daddy Series. Um, it's in our, it's it's in our premium backyard series, but we we call it the the Daddy. We have the Baby Daddy, the Hoosier Daddy, and the uh, Big Daddy, or the three. And the 
those I think are the best bang for the buck 3D target. Cause you, those we give you the better foam in it. So you get that, that ASA pro level foam, but you're getting at it at a good price. And there's three different sized deer. And then the, the way the bodies go together is really nice. There's no plastic legs on that one. Um, it's a dovetail joint. And, you know, it's, again, it's under, the baby daddy's under 200 bucks. It's 189 on our website right now. So, like, that that one's really, really good. People love how that one assembles, um, the way that the legs and the body go together. It's one joint. Do you have that one? I, Do you I, have any of the daddies? I was going to say, I have the Hoosier Daddy, and I just ordered a, a Big Daddy online. I am okay. a really, really bad uh, about shooting. I shoot broadheads into 3D targets, and I know I get crap for that, but I love doing it, so I just keep on keeping on. I will tell you, and I am not saying the two men on the other side of this mic are suggesting this. That Hoosier Daddy took a beating with broadheads that thing took a lot of arrows with broadheads on it i'm not telling people to do that or that you guys suggest it but i was surprised because i shot the shit out of thing with broadheads no we suggest it 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 means we'll sell more because you'll wear it out sooner (laughs) yeah yeah i just so yeah man shoot him with broadheads (laughs) (laughs) i just uh i don't know the 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 big daddy that i just uh had ordered i think it was on i think it was like 339 i think it was on sale i'm not sure but it was a little over 300 bucks the thing is it's like if I shoot the crap out of that, which I will, and it lasts a year, that's a dollar a day. That's worth it, right? I mean, people don't ever look at it that way. If I got a 3D target yep. and it lasts one year and it was $365, I paid a dollar a day. You go to a 3D course, I bet you're going to, you know what I mean? Like you're going to pay quite a bit. It's 10 bucks a day, 15 bucks a day, 20 bucks a day. So I try to put it in perspective. If your 3D target lasts a year, it's a dollar a day, 50 cents a day if it lasts two years. And if you're a dipshit like me, if I get a year out at shooting broadheads, that's a victory. Um, so, you know, price-wise, I, I just, you know, put it in perspective, a dollar a day is pretty damn good. Yeah. And they last a lot longer than that with field points, by the way. A year is 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 not, uh, unless you're shooting the same target, wearing it out at 20 yards at 200 arrows a day. An average lifespan of a 3D target, I mean, you can see my course, and I shoot a lot of arrows. A, a year is minimum I, I, I for the good ones. If you get some of the crappy ones, they don't last that long, but they last a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Well, um, I've had Sal sitting outside here looking at me for a while, so I should probably get off the mic, and we've been on an hour and a half. So um, All right. I, I'm quite certain we could probably talk for about nine hours and have like another Chris Rowe podcast where they're four hours each. But, uh, I, man, I, I appreciate you guys hopping on. Um, I can't thank you enough for, you know, to, yeah. to, you know, coming out with everything you guys do. Like I said, with the sever broadheads, I've got extensive experience. I can't suggest them enough and the targets are awesome. And, and again, as far as arrows go, you know, super big fan of the axis. So I, I can't thank you guys enough for hopping on. Yeah, thanks, man. If you ever want us on, we'll, I'm happy to dive down a rabbit hole with you, and we can just geek out on on one like thing. If you ever want to do that, so we, we may need one to, brand. Yeah, or just, uh, just reach out, man. We'll uh, be happy to do anything for you. Cool. I appreciate it, you guys. Take it easy, and uh, yeah, I look forward to having you on again. Okay, man. Cool. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, Aaron. Yep. Bye bye.